Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from On Sham at Synagogue in Chicago and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Ki the power of a bird's nest, and how small acts can have a huge effect. When you write a book, do you have a chart, an outline? How do you, how do you keep all the chapters straight? How do you think of, how do you conceptualize the book as you go along? Well, one of the great advantages I have in writing biography is that you have to go chronologically, and it takes a lot of the thinking out of it. Uh, that doesn't mean that I don't need uh, post-it notes and charts, and, and uh, I, I tend to use hundreds and hundreds of post-it notes that I put on the wall to remind me of things that I don't want to forget when I get to that point in the narrative, or to remember, um, okay, I'm in the spring of 1966. Here are all the things that I have to touch on, all the key events and the themes that are going to come up in the spring of 1966. Um, so it's mostly to remind myself of where I'm going, but um, in general, it, it helps a lot, and I think this is a one of the great benefits of writing nonfiction is that I'm basically following the calendar day by day. You also, I, I've noticed, put themes in a book. Like the most obvious one to me is your biography of Lou Gehrig, where you luckiest man. But you build on his moral sense. You build on his character throughout the book so that it kind of comes to a crescendo in that iconic speech at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There are certain themes that I know that I want to thread through. You know, in the case of Garrick, I want to make sure that I remind you of his strength, his strength of his courage and the strength of his body, because this is ultimately about a, a story about a man who suffers from a, a fatal disease that saps his, his physical strength, but doesn't sap his spiritual strength. And with each book, I'm thinking of certain themes that I want them to feel invisible to the reader for the most part, but, but I know they're there like a strong thread. But there are other themes that, that emerge accidentally that I don't know are even there until I get done writing it because they're just in the details. They're in the facts. And sometimes I don't even notice them until readers point them out to me, which is always kind of nice because it makes me look smarter than I am. I understand that as well, just as a uh, giving sermons and people remembering things and making connections that I may not have made at the time. In our portion this week of say, you have this sort of if then, this notion that the small things matter. And it's almost like a cause and effect that if you do the small things at the beginning, there's a through line to the benefit, but there's also a through line to destructive issues, punishments, if you will. And I, and I want to focus on one of them with you. And it seems such like such an innocuous verse. If you're walking on the road and you come across a bird's nest, and there are eggs in the bird's nest, and the mother bird is hovering over the bird's nest, you are not allowed to take the mother bird and its eggs on the same day. But what is fascinating about it is not only that the Torah would focus attention on something like this, but it then says, you will fare well, lemanye tevlach, and that you will have a long life. I thought this was just kind of a small thing that has to do with a bird and its eggs, that the Torah would put this sort of addendum on, says that you will fare well and you'll have a long life. I'm not sure how that all fits together. What do you think? Yeah, it's one of those things that seems almost like it was 
dropped in there accidentally that it's, you know, just, uh, well, this time he's adding a, you know, an explanation or she's adding an explanation. The, the voice here is telling us, God is telling us that, you know, there's a, there's a direct correlation, but maybe it was just a happenstance that this one's a little different from the others. And yet there's also this direct correlation because you're saying, um, there's a chick involved. There's a, there's an egg and, and the, uh, the bird hasn't been born yet. And that bird deserves to have a long life. So um, it doesn't seem accidental. I think it's, um, it's nice. And then, and then I'm guessing that we're going to see that thread, you know, carry throughout the Parsha. I want to challenge something you just said. The idea that happenstance, it just happened to be dropped in here makes perfect sense when the writer is human. Yes. But from a Jewish perspective, that would never happen with God. Right. Mm-hmm. If you if you accept the premise that God is the writer or that God is inspiring these words, then you have to say, well, it's not happenstance. What can we learn from it? And I think the portion says something really interesting at the end. By the way, there are more laws, more mitzvot in the portion of Kitese than any other. There's 72 commandments. And suddenly at the end, and this really does feel like a non sequitur, the Torah talks about, or Moses brings up Amalek. Zachor et asher asalecha Amalek. Remember what Amalek did to you. Taking us all the way back to the very beginning of the Exodus when the children of Israel just came out of Egypt. The waters had just split. And at that point in time, Amalek, a ancient chieftain, attacks the people of Israel. And the people of Israel win the war. But Amalek is forever remembered as one of not only the great villains, but beyond that, he represents the spirit of unbridled hatred against the Jewish people. I want to suggest that the through line here is that because what you learn in the end of this portion, which we didn't know in the book of Exodus, is that when Amalek attacked, he attacked the rear of the caravan. Not the front of the caravan where the fighting people are, but the rear of the caravan where the women and the children and the uh, infirm and elderly were, people who could not fight, the weakest, and cut them down. He didn't fear God, is what the Torah says. And what I want to suggest is that the Torah is not just talking about Amalek here and this thing that happened a long time ago and the fact that you have to respond to Amalek. But Amalek represents the worst, most selfish aspect of human beings who only cares about themselves, has no value for human life. And the the warning is, is not only to deal with Amalek, but to deal with the Amalek within you, that all of us have the potential to look away. All of us have the potential to do what we need to do in the moment and justify it. And I think that that's that's the through line. If you're not careful and don't learn from these object lessons on a daily basis, you can become that. I love the idea that, you know, there are 72 commandments. And maybe the, the message, at least to me, is that, you know, we are the sum of our action. One action, one kind word doesn't make you a good person, but the sum of what you do matters. And that when you're doing for others, when you're thinking about others before you're thinking of yourselves, when you're, you know, following all of these commandments, it, it adds up to something. And that maybe that the people who are at the back of the pack, Amalek are picking on, I don't know, do you feel like those are the people who are, they're at the back of the pack for a reason? According to 
most biblical historians, they are put in the back to protect them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what Amalek did was he went around, you know, specifically to hurt them. That wasn't going to help his war effort. It wasn't hurting the fighting people. This was just a wanton act of violence, an ugly act of violence and the destruction of human life. And what I want to focus on is this notion that there are no small or innocuous acts, that everything sort of matters. What we do during the day, the daily interactions that we have, how we treat other people on the street, all of that matters. And it's going to have a a larger, bolder effect on our lives and ultimately on our society, that we'll live long, that it'll be good for us. And I I guess what I want to move towards is how COVID has affected us. I think people are different in -hmm. many ways. I think people are far more insular in many ways. You know, Janet and I just, uh, and and Emma, our daughter, we went to see the movie. um, um, Barbie? No. Oh, I was Uh, hoping you were going to talk about Barbie. No, I uh, I just like go ahead. Uh, John, uh, Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer, yeah. All right, Bob, Bob I'm had sure to be one know. of the two. So we just went to see Oppenheimer, and I realized when Janet realized when we were walking to the theater, this is the first movie we've gone to since COVID. We haven't oh, been wow. to a movie theater since then, and the whole experience of being in a movie theater of watching a film of experiencing something together. That was something that um, I didn't realize that I missed, but I did miss. I really sort of enjoyed the whole experience that much more because it was a communal experience. But the fact that we've become far more insular has affected, I don't know about you, but I see how people drive. I, I, I think people can be very short with one another. Their sense that I don't need to deal with you. That all of that and how easily we can sort of push people aside I think that that is coming to roost for us. And the reality that we don't actually talk to one another, all of that is having an effect because people, I think, in many ways are becoming much less concerned with others and we're willing to look away. No, I think you're right. And it gets back to what we were saying in the in earlier. And as I was talking about in writing my book, sometimes I don't see the themes until I finish or even until after people have read the books. I think that we don't really understand what's going on in our lives at many times. And we may, we may, if we're lucky, sort of pick up the direction that we're headed in. You know, we might, as you said, perceive that COVID has changed our interactions and our manners and our civility, but we don't really know the big picture, the impact of it, um, just as we can only guess at what the impact of AI is going to be or global warming. But we still have to live and make daily decisions, not knowing ultimately where we're going or what it's going to mean. I agree with that. We don't always know the big picture. In fact, we rarely do. But I would suggest to you that the lesson that the Torah wants us to take away from this, at least in the structure of this portion, is that it's not just the big things that matter. It's the little, the little everyday acts that add up and make us who we are and make our society what it is for, the, for better or for worse. That's a very important lesson that is often lost on us. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And, and if you can see that you're heading in a certain direction, that requires action, doesn't it? I mean, it requires that even if you realize that you can't necessarily fix it or we're not going to be able to see the long arc and where it's headed, 
uh, we still have an obligation to try to push and to try to make change and to be, you know, at least conscious of where we're going and, and how we're affecting others. Exactly right. Exactly right. I guess because I loved, um, I loved the Lou Gehrig story and I really loved your book, I would come back to it just to note that speech at Yankee Stadium was not an anomaly, right? It was part of a long arc of who this man was. And we continue to learn from him because of the small everyday acts that ultimately culminated on that day in um, Yankee Stadium when he inspired the world. Right. I mean, how did this shy person who was very private and didn't want to talk about himself come to the point where he could stand in front of 60,000 people and give this incredibly emotional, vulnerable speech and, and talk about the fact that he was dying, the hardest thing he could have ever imagined himself doing, but he didn't get there in one day. It took him a whole lifetime to find the strength to do that. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Rabbi. Thanks, Rabbi.